Well, good morning. Great to see each one of you, and may the Lord just bless you for pulling back those covers on this chilly morning and coming to worship Him this morning. You know, we're just uh, four days away from this great celebration, this great Christmas celebration that most all of us have come to just love, and it's a part of our, our lives. And as I close our Christmas series today called The Thrill of Hope, I'd like for us to just take a moment to remember some of the things that we so love about Christmas. Things like, at least in our family, waking up early in the morning and coming down to a roaring fire and gathering in our pajamas kind of around the fireplace. And there reading the Christmas story. First thing we do is read the Christmas story. And then I break out the guitar, and yeah, Dad still plays, Grandpa still plays the guitar, and, and we uh, sing Joy to the World and Silent Night and some of the songs we sang this morning. And then after that time of, of, of just worshiping Him and a time of prayer, dedicating that morning to Him, some of the things that I think you love and I love is just excited to see our kids in their pajamas gathered excitedly around the Christmas tree. And... That's just fun, even when your kids are 34, Scott, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, they get older on you. But uh, still fun to gather around the Christmas tree and look at all those beautifully wrapped presents to then break after the gifts have been opened for, a, at least at our house, a Christmas breakfast of hot chocolate and homemade cinnamon rolls and lots of laughter, lots of hugs. And I don't know about you, but those are some of the things that I think most of us love, that family time together celebrating the coming of our Savior, but also celebrating the love that He has given to us and sharing that love with our family. Like most of you, I love most everything about Christmas. But have you ever wondered if the Christmas story is really true? Hmm. Now, I know that's something you'd never really ever want to voice during this season. I mean, when you've decorated your house inside and out and you got a plastic baby Jesus decorating the house somewhere and, and Mary and Joseph in a nativity scene set out, this isn't the time to say, wait a minute, did that story really happen? This isn't the time to say to go to mom and, and say, mom, I've been thinking about this whole story thing. I think maybe it's really a myth. And that's when mom rips your stocking off the fireplace, right? <laughs> but at some point in your life, just maybe you have wondered, is this really for real? In fact, maybe even today you're thinking, come on. Angels really coming down from the sky to tell some shepherds about a baby that's going to be born? Really? I mean, come on. Wise men following a star? across other countries' borders to find one specific baby? Really? I mean, come on, a, a, a baby born from the womb of a virgin? Really? Have you ever wondered, is this really for real? Or have you just kind of gone along with this whole Christmas thing because it's kind of what America does this time of year. It's, it's a seasonal thing. Or have you kind of gone along with the whole Christmas thing because your mom believed it? She went to mass during the season. Then she set out a nativity scene. 
Or have you gone along just because you kind of enjoy all the, the good feelings and the good will and the good food, amen, of the season? If that's your situation, then the verses here in Luke that you are going to get to hear today are the most important verses in the New Testament for you. You see, this ancient document written by Luke, one of the places in the Bible that tells us the Christmas story was his attempt to share what he had personally seen, what he had personally heard, what he had personally experienced, and as a doctor, what he had personally investigated and knew to be true about the account of Jesus coming to earth. And the account that Luke wrote down, we need to understand, is not third-hand information. It was based on his personal experiences and the experiences of those who walked and talked with Jesus. The Bible lets us know that Luke knew James, the half-brother of Jesus. Chances are that Luke met Mary, the mother of Jesus. So this is why this is so important right here. If you are not a Christian, or if you are beginning to consider becoming a Christian, or if you've been a Christian, but you've really left the ways of living for Christ, and you're beginning to come back to Christ, here is something you should know. Christianity is not about believing in a nice little story. Christianity is based on something that really happened in history. The foundation of Christianity is based on real events in history, beginning with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Luke writes this account to help one of his friends, Theophilus, come to a place where he, Theophilus, could say, based on the eyewitness accounts of historical events, I now also believe that God came to earth in the flesh, that he was born from the womb of a virgin, that he was given then the name Jesus, and that wise men followed a star and found all that the angels told them all to be true. So to help Theophilus, Luke writes this personal eyewitness account of what happened. Listen to the story today that's not really a story. It's a factual account of the coming of our Savior. Listen. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, the descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. 
How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and put him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we thank you for this account. May these words sink deep into our soul. Help us to leave this place knowing that we know, that we know, that we know that Jesus came for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this account, Luke is saying to Theophilus, it is true. <laughs> it's true. What you've been hearing, what you've heard happened. God came to earth in the form of a baby, and his name is Jesus. But then comes the question, okay, but why did Jesus really come? Why did he need to come. Well, write this down on your outline. First of all, he came to reveal to you and me what God is really like. He came to, to do this revealing what God is like. He came to show you what God the Father is like. And he needed to do that because there's lots of weird ideas in our world about who God is and what God is like. Some people like to think that God is just like uh, a harmless grandpa, just kind of a a warm, wrinkled old guy. Some like to believe that, that God is like an impersonal force, kind of this powerful force blob floating around in the universe. But Jesus came to show us that God is a person, not some floating power. And because he's a person, we can have a relationship with him. Then some think that, that God is like an angry judge that's coming to punish us for all of our wrongs. But Jesus came to show us that God is not mad at you. He is mad about you. 
He could not stand to not come and have a relationship with you. So Jesus came to show you that God is a person who loves you. But the reason there's so much confusion about God is because people have never seen God. The Bible says this. Look at this scripture. No one has ever seen God. But his only son, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has told us about him. So Jesus, God the Son, came to make the Father visible. He came to correct all the false ideas about what God is really like. Philip once asked Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And look at this. Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So let me just say it this way. If you want to know what God is really like, take a really long look at Jesus. Because Jesus is God who came to earth in a human body. So here's the good news. He came to earth to reveal himself to you. That's how much God loves you. He came to reveal what he's like. Then second, write this down. Then he came to relate to you God's truth. God's truth. Now, Jesus came to give you the best news that you're ever going to hear. And that is the truth about himself. Jesus says this. In fact, for this reason I was born. Look at this. This is the reason I was born. And for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. That's why he came. Now notice the word truth. He came to testify or give witness to what truth is. So where can you go to get the truth? You can always go to Jesus. Because Jesus says about himself, look at this. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that means that we've all got to decide if his statement here is true or not true, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Because Jesus didn't say, I'm one way. He didn't say, I'm a good way. He didn't say, I'm the best way to get to heaven. He said, I am the way. I'm it. And so that forces a decision to be made. Because Jesus is either who he said he is, God, or billions of people every Christmas are celebrating the birth of a fraud. Jesus didn't say, I am part of the truth. He said, I am the truth. I am it. He didn't say, I'm one of the givers of eternal life. He says, I am the life, the giver of life eternal. No one gets to the Father except through me. So when you come to Jesus Christ, he not only reveals what God the Father is like, he begins to relate to you God's truth about life. And as you get into his word, he tells you the truth about life, about God, about Satan, about heaven, about hell, lots of other things. And you get the benefits when you base your life on his truth. Because Jesus says it like this. When you know the truth, the truth does what? Say it with me. Sets you free. Doesn't keep you not bound up, but when you know the truth, it sets you free. He says, I'm the truth. When you know Jesus, when you follow his truth, you get free. Now, knowing the truth is like turning on a flashlight when you're lost in the woods. <laughs> it's dark, you can't see the trail, but you turn on the flashlight, and then suddenly you can see your way out of the darkness. And the Bible says this, Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. 
He wants us to know the truth. He wants us to be set free from darkness and sin and, and, and falsehood. And light does three things. Scientists tell us that light illuminates, light warms, and light causes growth. So the truth is this. If you ask Jesus to fill your life here at the end of 2014, you'll have light to see. You'll have light to warm your soul. And you'll have light to help you grow in 2015. Now, I don't know how dark your life might be these days. You, you may have financial problems. You may have some marriage problems. You may have some relational problems. You, you may have all kinds of problems. You may feel like you're walking around in the dark. But Jesus has come to tell you the truth, to light up your path, and to set you free from all darkness. He came to give you truth about where to go, how to walk, how to live, where to turn, when to stand firm. He came to give you that kind of truth. So he came to relate God's truth to you. Then third, write this down. Then he came to recover for you God's creation. You see, when God made the world, everything was perfect. And I love to go back in Genesis and, and read the creation account. Because in the Garden of Eden, there was no sin. There was no sickness. There was no suffering, no problems, no tears. Everything was perfect. But when Adam chose to disobey God and sin, that's when sin entered the world. And now the world, because of sin, is broken. The Bible calls it fallen. We live in a fallen world where nothing works as it really should. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that your body doesn't always work the way it should? Anybody? Amen. Yeah, just get a few years older. You'll figure it out. Doesn't always work the way it should. Have you figured out that the weather doesn't always work like it should? That your relationships don't always work like they should or the economy doesn't work like it should? In fact, there's nothing perfect on this planet except the Word of God. Every single thing has been impacted and broken by sin. But the Bible says that Jesus came to fix that. He came to restore what was broken and scarred by sin. He came to rebuild what has been broken by sin. He came to recover what is lost. Look at this. Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, what was lost in the fall of man? Everything. All of the things that were intended to be perfect are no longer perfect. It was all lost because man threw it away and chose to disobey God. So the Bible says we are all lost. But get this, but Jesus came to save us. He came to save us, to find us, to seek and to save. And the Bible says and dedicates one whole chapter to this, lostness. In fact, in, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story about a lost coin and a woman that did everything she could to find it. Then he tells a story about a lost sheep and a shepherd that goes and does everything he can, leaves the whole flock to go find one sheep. And then he tells a story about a lost son and a father that, that runs out to embrace him when he comes home. The truth is we are all lost in some way, but God doesn't want us to stay lost. And so like a loving woman who searches 
for a lost coin. And like a loving shepherd who goes after the one sheep that was lost, like a loving father who runs and embraces his son who was lost, Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission, seeing that what he created had been broken and scarred by sin, and it so broke his heart. God himself came on a rescue mission to save and recover and restore what was lost. The Bible says it this way. Jesus is speaking. He said, I did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom or to buy back many. Folks, Jesus didn't stay in the crib. He went on to the cross. Amen. To buy back all of our lives. He went from the manger to the cross to recover what was lost. I worked that on that phrase all week, so write it down, okay? I want to know that you, you, felt, you appreciate it. He went from the manger to the cross to recover what had been lost. That's why he came. But a lot of people want to keep Jesus as a little baby lying in a manger. But the Bible says, for unto you is born, not a baby to stay a baby, but a Savior. One who had the, the power to save us from our sinfulness. In other words, that little baby's heart so beat for the lost. He so loved the lost that he grew up and gave his whole life on the cross to pay for your sins and my sins, to save us from the penalty of our sins. And that is exactly what Jesus did for you and me. And so I want to tell you this Christmas that if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior, you are still lost. You are lost from God for all eternity. When you die, you will not go to heaven. You are still lost. You're lost and you will not find your way into his heaven unless you ask him to forgive you of your sins and become your personal savior. You see, Jesus came to recover what was lost. Us, his creation. That includes you and me. So he came to recover you. The question is, have you let him do that yet? Have you let him come into your life and become your savior? Last, he came to recover you, but then he also came to re reproduce in you God's life. The Bible says this, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest. What does that mean? Well, it means until you really come to know him as your savior, you're never really going to know the life that he meant for you to have, the life that he meant for you to know. And that's true. Most people on this earth never really live. They just exist. They get up. They go to work. They, they come home tired, they eat dinner, they watch some TV, and they go to bed. And the next day they get up, they go to work, they come home, they eat some dinner, watch TV, and go to bed. And then they say, man, I'm living. <laughs> and then after five days of work, they get up and they go play really hard on the weekend, and they think, I'm living the life. But that's not living, that's just existing. I call it a treadmill existence. You're just kind of 
working your way through life. But that's not what God had in mind. And you say, what are you going to do next year? What's going to be different in 2015? I'm always going to do the same thing I did last year. Ta-da! <laughs> That's not living. You know, Jesus used the word life over and over in the Bible. He says, I am the life. I've come to bring you life. In the New Testament alone, he uses the word life 200 times. So what does Jesus mean when he says he's come to give you a full life? He means he's come to give you a life full of purpose, full of meaning, a life that's fulfilling, a life full of peace, a life full of, of power where, where you can step out and do things for God and bear fruit for God and see people's lives changed and turned around and, and helped. And then you have purpose and meaning and, and life is awesome. That's the life that God offers you. In the University of Florida, there's been invented a machine where they're doing kidney dialysis to now treat schizophrenia. And I don't know how it works, but they're using dialysis to take out some of the chemicals that cause schizophrenia in the brain. Somehow it removes that imbalance. And I began to think as I thought about that, what if there was something that could remove all sin, all guilt, all fear, and all worry, what if something could remove all that? There is, amen? His name is Jesus. And the thing that can do that is salvation through him. And so salvation is a gift that Jesus, the Savior who was born for you, offers to you. And he says, whoever believes and trusts in me will have life and will have it to the full. But listen, this life that he offers is not just for here and now, it's forever. It's for all eternity. When you close your eyes and you've let Jesus be your Savior and give you the gift of salvation, when you close your eyes, you're going to open your eyes, you're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Savior born for you. The Bible says no mere man has ever seen or heard or even imagined the wonderful things God has ready for those who love the Lord, those who love the Savior, Jesus. It's saying you can't even imagine what heaven's going to be like. Jesus came to give you a full life now, yeah, but you, you can't even begin to imagine, even if your life is full of the Lord and awesome here, you can't even begin to imagine what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be off the charts. The Bible says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, talking about this gift of salvation. But here comes this question. What if I gave you a gift on Christmas and you decided to not open it? You decided to just leave it under the tree. And I came back a year later and said, hey, how'd you like my gift? He said, well, you know, I haven't got around to opening it yet, but I'm thinking about opening that gift. Looks like there might be something pretty good in there. Been meaning to. You know what? If you never open it, you're never going to get the blessing of the gift. God the Father has given you a gift his son, Jesus. And it includes the gift of forgiveness, the gift of freedom from the penalty of your sins, the gift of real abundant life and the gift of eternal life. But if you never open it, you can know all about the gift. 
You can look at the gift. You can pick up the gift. You can whirl it around. You can smell it. You can be close to it. But if you never open the gift, you're never going to get the blessing of the gift. And yet it's amazing that some people go from Christmas to Christmas to Christmas and never open God's gift to them. But if you're not going to open God's gift, you really ought to stop celebrating Christmas because you're just missing the point. The point is this. God came to earth to give a gift to you. His name is Jesus. And, and Jesus came to earth in person to give you this gift of life. But you've got you've to take hold of the gift. You've got to unwrap it and open up the gift to get the real blessing of the gift. And so when you take hold of your gift, Jesus, what are you going to find? You're going to find that your hope of forgiveness and heaven is real. It's not a myth. It's real. And those of you who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about. You know that you can walk and talk with Jesus. You know the power that Jesus gives you that's far beyond your own. You know that when he gives you the peace that passes all understanding. You know that when he carries you through a trial and you know it's strength beyond your own that's being given to you. You know what I'm talking about. When you have the Savior, the gift inside of you, living in you, you know it's, it's real. It's, it, it's not a myth. And you are thrilled with your gift. So don't keep the gift of Jesus under the tree. Take hold of him. Hold him close. Get to know the one who came to be your savior. The baby in the manger. God who came to earth in the flesh. Who then went to the cross to pay for your sins and mine. And become that savior that was born for you. Receive him. Celebrate him. As I look out, I, I see lots of students in the, in, the, in the church this morning, and that's, that's just awesome. But I want to encourage you to do something. Don't just live on mom and dad's belief and faith about Jesus. Open the gift for yourself. Amen? You open the gift. You receive the gift. And you will be thrilled with the hope that fills your life. Let's pray. Folks, there's no greater thrill in life than to know him. And to live day by day with him. And to know that you will live with him after you die. If you've not yet received the gift you pray this prayer with me sincerely in your heart? Or maybe if you prayed this prayer before and you started a relationship with Jesus, but you've walked far, far from him. And you're not living close to him. Would you use this prayer to recommit your life to follow him? Let's pray. Pray it in your heart as I pray it. Father God, I believe you sent Jesus to be my savior. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. I place my trust in you to be my Savior.
and best that I know how, I will follow you. Lord Jesus, it thrills my heart to know from the teachings of your word that whenever we place our belief and trust in you, that you hear us and that you do exactly what we've asked you to do. You forgive us of our sins. You become our Savior. You take up residence in our life. You fill us with your Holy Spirit. And you begin to help us know the truth and live the truth. We worship you today. Thank you for being our gift. And all of God's people said, Amen.